Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the PTBC Podcast. This is Slava, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Sarush. Hey, everyone. So today we have a very special guest with us. It's Joel Sear, who is the president of Kinetex Sports Physio. So Kinetex has been thriving since 1982, and they have dominated the province of Quebec. Uh, they also have locations in Florida and Ontario as well. So Kinetex has established some key connections by providing service to the Montreal Impact, which is the key rival of the Toronto FC, and uh, <laughs> also Tennis Canada, among many other notable partnerships. Uh, their excellent service actually stems from the fact that most of their shareholders in the company are healthcare professionals, which is a very interesting and a refreshing business model. So today, Joel is with us to discuss that, that business model and how he has been able to grow and scale Kinetex to uh, 40 locations. All right, it's time to get down to business. Hi, Joel. How are you? Very good, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate that as well. So, Joel, can you give us a brief overview of how you got involved in the healthcare industry and how your journey led you to creating Kinetex? Sure. Uh, um, after graduating at McGill in, in 88, I started working in the public healthcare system. Um, and though I was enjoying my work, I found it a little bit frustrating um, with the, I guess, with the limitations on, on the quality of care that we were able to offer in that environment. And so basically, I had an opportunity to get involved in private health care. And it's something that I wanted to do because at least that way I had a little bit of control over the decisions and I could prioritize quality if I wanted to. So I guess that was probably the main motivating factor was just to be able to have a certain amount of control over the quality of care that I wanted to provide to my clients. Mm -hmm. And now we've already said this in the introduction a little bit too. And We've talked to you a little bit before, and we've got to know a little bit about your business model. Um, maybe first of all, if you could give us a little bit more of a detailed explanation on how your business model uh, is structured and essentially why you decided to structure your business model this way. Okay, sure. The, well, the business model is almost a bit of a hybrid of a, of a co-op and a franchise. The, what I've done is that I've, I've gone on a number of operating clinical partners on-site at every clinic. So right now, about within the province of Quebec, we're 38 clinics, but they're all separate mm -hmm. incorporations. Okay. So that the, 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 each clinic has a, a, as a group of shareholders, usually on average, uh, two clinical operating shareholders per clinic. And then basically what the clinics do is that they all contribute a certain percentage of their gross revenue towards the head office. And the head office in return is responsible for providing services, um, basically common needs that the clinics need in respect to marketing, promotion, um, human resource management, financing, accounting. Okay. And uh, it just worked out well for us. Some people say that you know, having over 80 you know, partners must, must be difficult. I'd say on the contrary, uh, um, you know, it's been really the strength of our organization, the, the quality and the quantity of our shareholder group. And I guess, you know, right from the beginning, I always preferred working in a team format. And mm -hmm. I firmly believe that if you surround yourself with people that, that compliment you and, and compensate for your weaknesses, that, that challenge, motivate and encourage you, uh, that your chances of success are greater. And it also makes the ride, you know, a lot more fun and rewarding. And, and in a way, I guess, um, you know, I guess I use an example. I say, is it better to have a whole 
you know, small pie all to yourself or a piece of a bigger pie that you can share and celebrate with others. And, mm -hmm. and I guess that's kind of where it started off. Uh, I always liked that team-oriented format. And so right from the beginning, I bought on some of my strong, you know, some of my strong employees that were already kind of showed that they brought an added value to our clinical environment. Mm -hmm. And I just felt that in order to compensate them for their hard effort and their interests, that I bought them along as partners. And then it kind of snowballed and mushroomed from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it definitely seems like a good idea to have some of these individuals become partners and have some skin in the game. You know, they'll be a little bit more invested in, in the whole business um, when they have a piece of that pie as well. Um, in terms of, I uh, wanted to ask, like decision making, do you find that, I know you said that, you know, it does help because it creates that team environment and everyone's really involved, but do you also find that, um, decision-making, how's that impacted in terms of making those key decisions? Do you guys have to involve all the partners or are there certain decisions where you guys kind of decide at a corporate level versus the people who might be running the clinics? How does that work? Well, the majority of the decisions are really made at the CA level. So that we have a CA composed of five shareholders mm -hmm. and then basically our CEO, the director general at the, at the head office. But if there's a really major decision that has to be made, we really want to be able to consult the shareholder group. If it's something, for example, that, well, you know, I'll back up. At the beginning, I, you know, as founder and owner of the name Kinetex, I used to make all those decisions that were kind of important. And then as I brought on partners, I felt that, you know, I wanted to share that responsibility. And I also felt that it's, it's kind of dangerous for an organization to be in a position where they can be influenced just by one person's opinion. And mm -hmm. I wanted to set up in a system if, you know, if, 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 if I'm not going to be a hypocrite and actually believe and I have confidence in my shareholder group, then I should want to you basically, basically be able to hear their opinion on some of the major issues that, you know, and the decisions that we have to make. So I guess to come back to it, the CA will make a lot of the, you know, a lot of the decisions that have to be made on a more operational basis. However, when there's major decisions, for example, that may um, touch on the quality of care criteria that will you know, affect the quality of care or, or other major issues, we have three general shareholder meetings every year. We prepare those, we prepare those questions, we send them out, uh, perhaps with some, some explanation or justification behind some of the thoughts that we have on the direction that we want to take, give them a chance, a chance to reflect on it. We show up at the, uh, at the AGM or the, gen the general shareholder meetings, and then we vote on them. And the way that it works right now, it takes 75% of the shareholders to, to vote on, on a decision that has to be made. So you know what? It it's, it's doesn't – I you know, people say, oh, God, it must really slow down the whole process with all this bureaucratic red tape because I have 80 partners. Not at all. Like I said, most of the, most of the decisions are made through the CA, and then the really important decisions that I believe we need to take back to the whole shareholder group, we do it. And we settle that in a general shareholder meeting and it goes quite well. Mm -hmm, for sure. And uh, thank you for that detailed explanation. But it's also very curious about how you uh, made the decision to hire the two strong clinicians to, be to come on as the partners. So uh, could you explain the decision-making process behind who hired the two specific um, physios to run the clinic? And did you look for complementary qualities in them? and uh, whether you looked for any uh, uh, business acumen in those two physios. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, first of all, even at the beginning, I didn't, when I first opened the clinic, it was just myself, and, and then I bought in one physio partner to join me. But the, the, and then I had a, you know, a little bit almost, well, I had staff that showed a very vested interest that they wanted to become shareholders. So I would either offer them opportunities on-site and sell them shares if that's what they wanted to do because they were already playing a valuable role on-site, 
or if they wanted to have their own, you know, separate clinic in a different environment, I'd listen to the needs and then I would go out, find them a location and, and deliver them a bit of a turnkey operation and they would come on board. The, the reason why I kind of, I think I touched on a little bit earlier, I, I always wanted to kind of have two operating clinical partners on site per clinic only because I think it was a bit of a safety net for me that if, that, you know, we, I, if I could fill up those two schedules that I know that I would be able to hit my break even. So even if there was difficulty recruiting, recruiting staff, I know that with the two operating clinical partners that I had on site, that I would be able to attain a break even. So that was kind of the reasoning behind it. Um, as far as the people that I chose and, 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 you know, what was some of the criteria that I looked at is that most of the people that are, that are shareholders with me now were all employees before. They were people that I got to know both professionally and personally. Uh, people that always bought an added value and so that I knew that I was, you know, that we probably would operate well as well in a shareholder position. I, you know, for the criteria that I would look at, you know, I always tried to find people that would kind of compliment me and compensate for my weaknesses. It's, it's, uh, um, I, I don't believe this is just me personally, but I don't believe in spending a lot of time and energy and working on my weaknesses. I really believe that it's, that it's more efficient to go out there and find people that compensate for your weaknesses and that bring diff different strengths to the table. And I think that's why, again, today, the, the real strength of my organization is, I mentioned before, is the diversity of our group. We have a lot of independent, strong thinkers, uh, not a, a lot of yes people. And so again, it's that quality and the quantity of our shareholder group that really you know, has made Kinetesco a success, far from just me. I think what I did is, the one thing that I did well is I brought good people aboard. And so I was able to recruit them and, um, and motivate them to come on board and, and play the role. But really the point, you know, to where we are today, I'd really say is, is, is a true testament of, again, the quality and the quantity of our group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like, you know, you, you have a very extensive uh, due diligence process of making sure you bring on the right people. And we definitely do agree uh, having people who aren't yes men, right? Uh, people who aren't just going to agree to everything that definitely helps push an in the, uh, an in the, a company and in the whole industry, I guess, uh, forward, right? Um, that's something that we also make sure that we're looking for in, uh, when we partner up with people, when we have uh, groups forming, teams building, uh, et cetera, right? So 100% agree on that. Now, again, since you do have such an extensive due diligence process, uh, we were wondering what some of the steps that you usually take before you actually acquire a new location to be a part of that network. And what are some of the most important aspects you have to consider in terms of the people that you'll be coming on, which you've already mentioned a little bit, as well as a little bit about kind of the market analysis uh, in your decision making. Okay. Well, you know, the, the, in the past, I'll be honest, and it's really kind of evolutionized right from the beginning. Um, I'd say that in, in, in the past 30 years, 95% of our clinics has really been new projects. We started from, the, started from scratch from the ground up. And, uh, and we would choose those based, based on the location. And, and we believe that there was an interesting client base for us. 
So right now, though, I'd say that that has changed quite a bit. And that if I look as I move forward, as I'm trying to consolidate the, the Quebec market and expand into some of the, some of the smaller cities, um, I'm going to be looking at more acquisitions than really new startups. Okay. And the reason being is, you know, I, I'm not arrogant enough to think that by going into a community where we're not known and just by sticking my name in there that all of a sudden the patients are going to come flocking <laughs> to the clinic. You know, it's, it's, I, I think that you need to be involved in the community, um, that the your client base needs to know you, uh, they need to be familiar with you. Um, and I just felt that, feel right now that th acquisitions is going to be probably the best way for me to do so. However, that being said, you know, it's, there's also some challenges and acquisitions that you need to find clinics that, you know, you feel that will have good synergy with your corporate culture, you know, mm -hmm. that have, that have a, an excellent reputation in that community. Um, there's obviously other factors that we evaluate, you know, besides the clinic reputation, we look at the staff, the physical work environment, the lease, uh, the revenue generated is something that we have to take into consideration as well. Uh, and basically any other factors that may impact the, the transition and the integration in, into the Kinetex family. Mm -hmm. Now you, you mentioned something really interesting. You know, we've had with uh, we've had a conversation with numerous people about culture within the clinic, but I guess we haven't had a lot of uh, conversations around uh, corporate culture within the healthcare industry, and that's something that uh, sounds definitely like something. Uh, would be great for you to talk about. Um, and we wanted to know how you try to maintain a positive corporate culture. Yeah, you know, I, I think that. Uh, um one, by having a, a, a shareholder presence at every single clinic, I think that's, that makes a big difference. It's, it's, uh, I think that as far as the team management and, and being in touch with the employees, I think that you need to have shareholders that have a vested interest and that are there on a full-time basis. Um, at that point in time, you know, what we, what we do is, you know, we realized that I mentioned it before earlier that we're in a service oriented industry. And I think that we have, we have to pay particular attention to the people that are delivering that service and that's our employees. And I'm not just talking, yes, I, you know, we put a strong emphasis on, on the professional clinical staff, but I believe that, you know, the, the first face that our patients see when they come in are secretaries and our receptionists. And it's also the last face that they see, you know, before they leave. So we tried to create a kind of a 360 degree wow experience for the patients from the time that they get into the door to, and they received at the front desk from their clinical, you know, uh, experience. And then as well, just, you know, the, the departing is able to follow up with the next appointment and, and whatnot. So, you know, the, the, I guess, what we try to do is that we, and these are mistakes that I made at the beginning. I'll be, I'll be honest, I guess if I go on here for a little bit is that I was quite narrow-minded, you know, I'm a physio and I started and I thought that, oh, you know, the most important thing to, to you know, to the, to the patient's experience in my clinic is, is a therapist. And, uh, and that's great. You know, I bought on really good, strong therapists. I bought on good, strong operating clinical partners. That was our strength. Um, I'll be honest, at the beginning, it was also our weakness at the same time. Um, I had some really good, you know, operating clinical therapists, but as you guys probably know, I mean, at, at university, they don't teach us a lot about how to run a business. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't have a lot of administrative based courses that, that can, you know, help, you know, facilitate delivering that service in, in a non-clinical sense. So, mm -hmm. so anyways, it's, 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 that was one, our weakness. I think that's what happened is when we, we developed the head office, um, you know, we, we sat down and we, you know, we did our strategic plan and we set our visions and we set our goals that we realized that we've got to expand, you know, the service to the other departments. And there's got to be a synergy and a communication between the administrative department and the clinical department. And, and that's what we tried to make, you know, 
an essential part of our corporate culture that that it's it's we didn't put you know we stopped putting the therapist on the pedestal we, that we said everybody has a role to play and if the patient's going to leave you know leave our clinic and uh, you know 100% satisfied that we got to make sure that every department's kind of played play that valuable role that we see in them. So I guess the corporate culture, if we go back to, you know, to, to that term is that it's, it's, I guess it's, it's just a, an integrated network uh, um, that we've tried to create a synergy between the administrative and the clinical therapists uh, in order to provide the best service possible. And the way that we've been able, I guess, to kind of do that is that we've done a lot of in-house continuing education and not just for the clinical staff. Obviously, you know, the, you know, the, the, the therapists are used to it, they, they, you know, to, to continuing their education. The, we felt that it was important as well for the administrative staff to be involved in that. So we've developed courses that, that both the clinical and the administrative staff uh, um, join in on. Some of them is separate and then some of it is, is, is um, um, done jointly. When we set up our symposiums or, that we do every two years, we have administrative courses and administrative workshops as well as clinical. And then we have joint workshops where the therapists and the administrators are, you know, are, are in that program together. So I guess maybe that's what we just tried to create again in respect to the corporate culture is, is to let everybody feel that, that they're vital to the success of the organization, if that makes any sense. Yep. Yep, for sure. And now as a trend in the rehab industry, patient experience has been emerging as like one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest priorities in the clinics as well. When the patient walks into the clinic, you want to make sure it's nice and clean that the front desk staff synergistically drives the patient towards the therapist, right? And the therapist uh, refers back to the front desk staff and everything is very cohesive. Uh, we were just wondering, Joel, with uh, the 40 locations that you have, are you trying to replicate that patient experience as, um, as kind of like a franchise uh, term where you're putting similar experiences in every clinic or is, uh, is each location being more run separately in terms of that patient experience and culture? No, we're trying to make it homogeneous as much as possible. We're really trying to create synergy between the clinics and, and, and that's, you know, there's, there's obviously each clinic has a little bit of their independence. Um, and, but however, there's, there's certain things, anything that touches the quality of care, we want there to be synergy. You know, we, we want to look at some of the, you know, and that's what we do even at some of our shareholders meetings that we have one, you know, one brainstorming session a year and then we look at the best practice. It's basically where we get up and we look at the things that have, you know, have worked well for us in our practices and the things that haven't worked that well. And then we share those ideas between the clinics. We brainstorm and then we come up with the best practices possible. And then we follow up with a workshop to put those best practices into place. So, you know, yes, there's some flexibility um, for some other issues. It's not like a McDonald's where they have to have these colors and they have to have these tiles and they have to, you know, there's, there's, there's that type of flexibility. But when it comes to anything, I think that touches the, the patient's experience at the clinic. We really try to make sure that it's, there's as much synergy there as possible between all the sites. Hmm. Yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense just so that you can rec replicate a successful model, model that works along all of your clinics. But referring back to uh, the 40 locations, we were wondering, uh, out of the 40, you have the 38 in the province of Quebec. Am I correct? That's, yes, sir. Uh, so we just wanted to ask, why did you prefer to stay primarily in that uh, province as opposed to branching out across Canada or going the U.S. way a little bit more? 
Well, I mean, it, it's just timing and, and the ideal opportunities, really. You know, it's, it's growth and expansion can be, can be fun and exciting, but also has to be very strategic. And I didn't want to get caught up in just expanding everywhere an opportunity opens. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough climb, <laughs> but a slippery slope down. And it would only take really one bad clinic and one bad choice to probably have a negative impact on the image and bring our reputation down. So I guess I wanted to solidify our base first you know, develop an efficient and supportive head office, provide training to our shareholders on how to become effective clinic owners and drive the clinics for, forward. And, and I think we've done that now. We, 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 you know, I think the head office is, is, is providing a tremendous service right now to, to the clinics. Um, and not only in respect, as I mentioned, to marketing and promotion and human resource management, but as well in helping educate our shareholders and our clinic managers on how to be more effective right, and providing a quality service. I think now I'm in a position that I'm starting to look a little bit more at the markets outside of Quebec. I still think I'm going to focus on the Quebec market for the next three to five years because I, there's, I want to consolidate our efforts there. But meanwhile, as you mentioned, I've started exploring other markets by opening up a clinic in, in Markham in Ontario and in Florida. And, um, and, you know, it takes time to get familiar and flourish in a completely new market. So I'm going to focus on these sites first before I start expanding, you know, throughout Ontario or the rest of Canada. But if it goes well and I don't fall flat on my face and uh, there's definitely plans to expand, I think probably more aggressively through the rest of Canada. And then basically, if I feel comfortable in the Florida market as well, then I'll continue my expansion throughout the USA. But probably not to the same extent. I'm not interested in opening up, you know, 500 clinics across Canada. What I might do is, is I think I'll be strategic in order to, to, you know, I want to prove that my business model can flourish, not just in my Quebec market, but outside. So, you know, I think I'll open up, you know, some in the Maritimes, uh, probably some in Ontario, because I think there's a tremendous market there. And as I move out throughout, you know, Western Canada, maybe eight to 10 clinics, depending again on the opportunities that are there, probably through acquisitions, if I can find good quality oriented clinics that, you know, that will have good synergy with our corporate culture. Um, and, and yeah, maybe it'll be beyond, you know, we've been approached uh, for it to open up a clinic in Qatar in preparation for the 2022 um, <laughs> World Cup of Soccer. And, you know, they sent a delegation down and they wanted us to kind of open something up there in preparation for that. And I'm considering it just because it sounds like a really interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not going to do that at the expense of, of weakening my position here in Quebec or, or in Canada. Mm-hmm. That really sounds like an interesting opportunity for sure, <laughs> especially with the, the new unique setup of the World Cup in Qatar as well. Yeah, no, I flew down there. They flew me down. I had to really look at it. I look at, you know, what they're doing down there. It sounds really exciting and fascinating. Um, but, you know, I just threw that out there because that's just something, you know, they approach me. I, I don't know really how seriously I'm taking it. I, I told them I'd give them support and I, I think that would be easier. Um, and I told them it would be a lot less expensive if I just kind of gave them the support and, and I brought staff down there or I helped train their staff in preparation. But um, it's funny over there. They, 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 they don't have a lot of confidence in, in their local workforce. Um, you know, they, they, they find that they have a lot more confidence in, in, in it seems like, the, the Western workforce. They know how to provide those services. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes, but that's an opportunity that I might continue to explore or not. But as again, my, my, I think my priority, as I mentioned, will be in the Quebec market for the next three to five years. And at the same time, um, parallel to that, I'll, I'll look at the other opportunities in Canada and the United States. 
For sure. And um, just to wrap up this whole theme of um, Quebec-based locations, you answered that question pretty clearly, why you chose Quebec as the uh, kind of the first province and why you chose to expand mostly there. But could you uh, speak about the differences in the Quebec market compared to the Ontario market, for example? Yeah, I mean, I'm just getting to learn the Ontario market. I'll, I'll be honest with you. So I'm probably not the best person to, to ask that question to. I know my Quebec market really well. Um, there's, you know, it's, it's as far as in, in respect to the Ontario market, um, I noticed that even for the employees contracts, it's a little bit different in that most of the people that work in the Quebec clinics are all employees. Like they basically, you know, we have about 700 employees. We don't really have really any in, very few independent contractors. It'll be with the massage therapists and the osteopaths, and that'll be about it. What I realized in the Ontario market that a lot of the physiotherapists are also considered independent contractors and they're not employees. Um, so that was probably one of the major differences I saw between the Quebec clinics and the Ontario clinics. Um, you know, the, these, there's, other, there's other small differences. Again, I, you know, I don't want to elaborate because I, I, I'm just getting to know the market Ontario. And I don't want to sound foolish in, in trying to, you know, pick out all the discrepancies between the Quebec market and the Ontario market. It's, there's not, you know, the, the, so far, I guess, there's not a, a lot of major differences. The only one, as I mentioned, is in the employee's contract versus the independent contractor status that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. That is, that's definitely an interesting comparison uh, that you make. Then uh, our next question then is maybe about the Quebec market. So what do you think makes the Quebec market so attractive in terms of creating uh, this network of clinics in your perspective? Well, it, it, it's not that I guess, you know, Quebec is more attractive than any other province, to be honest with you, because I can't really judge. But, but what made Quebec attractive for me is that I'm just born and raised in Quebec. And, you know, and I went to McGill and I started there and I opened up my first practice and then it just, you know, the opportunities were there for me. And, and it was just easier for me to expand in the province of Quebec because, you know, as we developed a strong reputation, I had, you know, good therapists that wanted to join our group. And as well as, as we ended up having a, you know, a good reputation and delivering that service that, that medical clinics or, or other opportunities presented themselves within the Quebec market. And even as, you know, clinics started to sell out I, again, and I hope this doesn't you know, sound like we're being arrogant at all, but because of the reputation that we had of delivering high quality care, you know, clinics approached us when they were thinking, you know, when some of the shareholders are thinking of retiring, they didn't want to leave, you know, their employees or the patients with just any clinic. Um, and I guess we're in a fortunate position with that reputation that they, they approached us and asked us if we would be interested in acquiring their practice. And so, you know, the reason why I, I'm so prevalent in Quebec is, is, is because of that, just because I, you know, I, I started the practice off then and because of the reasons that I just mentioned, it made it a lot easier for me. You know, we, we, I think the opportunities as we gradually expand and develop our name and our reputation outside of Quebec, I think those opportunities will probably rise in, in those environments as well. Hmm, sure. And continuing into that, um, a little bit of an advantageous position, position of Quebec, um, so recently, the physios in that province received the ability to order imaging, right, as health, as health professionals. Uh, we were wondering, how has that impacted the physiotherapists in your clinic? And do you think it will be a positive change across Canada if they chose to implement it? 
Well, first, just to be clear, it's we can't do it yet. So they, they, they're implementing it. And uh, now we're starting to take the courses uh, uh, um, so that the staff is starting to get educated. But as it is, as it stands right now, okay, we're, we're not allowed. It's going to be coming in probably by this spring. Uh, once it does, I, I, I really believe it's, it's going to help our healthcare system by allowing us to be better equipped to serve our patients as first-line practitioners. You know, we, we currently see patients uh, in direct access and, you know, who occasionally require x-rays to be, for, to be performed to rule out fractures. And it, it seems like a significant loss of time and an especially a useless cost to society to send patients to the hospital clinic to see a physician, to get a prescription, and then to get an x-ray. So I think it's going to make the system a lot more cost efficient. And, and I think also a lot more efficient for the patient. Um, you know, we, we, I believe as therapists, we have the knowledge to skip that part of the process uh, and by allowing patients to get an x-ray when a trauma is involved and when we believe so. And, you know, we, I believe that the, the evaluations that we do are very lengthy and very thorough. You know, there's not a lot of healthcare professionals that take actually 60 minutes to evaluate their, you know, the patients like we do in physiotherapy. So I, I think we're, we're in a really good position to be able to offer that service. Um, I'm looking forward to it. And I think that the healthcare system is going to, and the patients are going to benefit because of it. Great answer, Joel. Um, we also wanted to ask now that we're getting closer to the end of the podcast, as you may know, we do ask about a book that has really made a difference in the individual's journey as an entrepreneur. And it seems like you've definitely had an unbelievable journey creating this network of clinics. And we have no doubts that you're going to be even more successful in the future. Now, would you be able to let us know of a book that our listeners can uh, uh, can essentially read, or if it's not a book, a resource that you use uh, that uh, we can use to also strengthen our skills as entrepreneurs within the healthcare space? Um, yes, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not much of a reader. Uh, I apologize. So I can't really probably offer a book. Uh, I'm more, you know, I observe, mm -hmm. I, I listen, I ask questions. I, I, you know, I guess I, I've learned a lot through trial and error. I, as I mentioned before, I surround myself with people that I, that I believe are, are not only have strong assets that really complement my weaknesses. So I learn a lot off them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I also mentioned that I don't surround myself with yes people because I want people that are going to challenge me. I want people that I can run ideas through and that they're not just going to kind of, you know, answer, I guess, with what they think I want to hear, but they're going to have the confidence and not be intimidated to be able to challenge and offer me their honest opinion. So, um, you know, I guess where would I've gotten some of the other information, you know, besides learning just through trial and error is, you know, I, you know, the BDC, you know, offers some interesting articles that I tend to read. Um, I have a resource of, of, of people, of consultants, you know, that I, that I pick up the phone or, or, or that I email when I have questions and we bounce ideas back and forth. Sometimes there's some business forums that, that you can join as well, which I did early on in my career as I was looking for a little bit more, I think, uh, uh, um, support in developing my business. Mm -hmm. um, so I think those are probably the sources that were, that were enabling me to be somewhat successful, but I wouldn't be able to label it to a book, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we, we got that sense that you're more of an observation kind of guy and you try to uh, really expand the resources that you learn from. Um, we also know that you're not much uh, of a social media guy either. No, uh, sorry. 
No problem. <laughs> but in case uh, our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, is there an email or a phone number that you would like them to reach you through uh, if they had any questions or if they potentially wanted to enter uh, into some of the conversations around the shareholders um, community? Absolutely. No, absolutely. They can reach me uh, on my email address at uh, joel.seer at kinetex.com. I can spell that out quickly for you, but it's J-O-E-L dot C-Y-R at kinetex, K-I-N-A-T-E-X dot com. They can also, I can leave you my cell number. It's, it's 514-808-1358. Uh, I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody. You know what? I, I learn something from every conversation that I have with people. So if somebody wants to call and have a conversation or ask me a question or whatever the case may be, or find out more about our organization or what it would take to join our family, whatever the case may be, uh, I am more than happy to, uh, to entertain that. That's awesome, Joel. Thanks so much for sharing the email and the number. And I'm sure uh, our listeners would be really happy to get in touch with you as well, as I'm sure they can learn a ton from you. Uh, And so that wraps up our podcast uh, for today. Thanks so much uh, for coming on, Joel. We appreciate you giving us your time. We hope that you have more success in the future and uh, we'll be speaking with you soon. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.